As you well know, Toe dips its toes, so to speak, into philosophy, both publicly as well as I do so in my personal life. I encourage you to do the same with Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Nearly 2,000 years after it was written, this guide to personal growth remains eminently relevant for anyone seeking to lead a meaningful life. Meditations isn't your average self-help book. In fact, it was the emperor's personal journal, and this makes it useful not only as a form of propositional knowledge, but to aid perspectival knowledge, something that John Verveke talks about as exigent, though missing in our culture. We sit in this improbable, even preposterous position of having the opportunity to peer into one of the deepest soul-searching, thoughtful, private questions, internal struggles that the once leader of the world thought about in his moments alone. Like, man, I would love to interview him if Marcus were a guest on tow. Maybe he would be a fan of the CTMU. Maybe he would be a Castrop sympathizer. I'll leave that up to you. Dive into the philosophies of Marcus Aurelius today with the book that Ryan Holiday said is the greatest book ever written. Meditations is available from Penguin Random House at prh.com slash meditations. Coleman Hughes is an accomplished writer, a philosophy graduate, and the host of the podcast Conversations with Coleman, a link to which is in the description. Coleman sat down with me for a podcast on consciousness, UAPs, and theoretical physics. Though because of certain technical issues, this is being released on the Toe podcast instead of on his platform. A much longer follow-up is going to be conducted over Zoom for his channel. Comment with any questions that you feel were left unanswered or areas that you would like to be explored more and Coleman will try to address them for the follow-up. Next week on the Toe Channel will be Professor Abai Ashtakar, who is a prestigious and acclaimed physicist who paved the way for modern quantum gravity approaches like loop quantum gravity and loop quantum cosmology. He talks about what occurred prior to the Big Bang. I'm sure you heard that nothing existed prior to the Big Bang. Well, that's only true in certain models. There are cyclical models where that's not true. In loop quantum cosmology, there is no singularity, but instead a repulsive force that breeds another universe under certain conditions. Ashtakar is the physicist referenced numerously in a positive light by Salvatore Pius. In fact, Sal sent in a question for Ashtakar on the Superforce. Expect that in about a week's time. As mentioned before, this is a brand new season for the Theories of Everything project or channel, where I'm going to explore different kinds of content. So for example, new guests that aren't repeatedly interviewed on the standard podcast Rolodex, like Ashtakar, for example. There will be more theolocutions, such as one that's coming up is Bernardo Castrop and Chris Langan. There will be other explainer-type videos, so for example, how does one go about learning a new theory of everything? And some ancillary content, like an inventorying video about new creators, up-and-coming creators in the UAP, physics, math, consciousness space as tiny creators tend to get overlooked despite toiling just as hard. And given the modest following on this channel, it would be great to shine some light their way, as I know I wish someone larger had done that for me when I was struggling. No sponsor for today's podcast? If you'd like to contribute, then do consider going to patreon.com slash kurtjaimungle, that is C-U-R-T-J-A-I-M-U-N-G-A-L, as this is what I'm able to do full-time now thanks to your generous support. Enjoy! Coleman Hughes interviewing Kurt Jaimungle. All right, Kurt, thanks so much for coming on my show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. So uh, I've been listening to your podcast, Theories of Everything, right? Right. And we're going to get into the topics you cover. But before we do that, can you give a little summary of who you are, where you're from, you know, your background, how you came to care about topics like 
you know, UFOs and, and uh, consciousness and physics and so forth. Right. So my name is Kurt Jaimongol, and I've been interested in what are called theories of everything since I was a child, since I learned about them. So you've heard, I'm sure you've heard there's quantum mechanics. Technically, it should be quantum field theory and then general relativity. Some people say it's the theory of the small with the theory of the large. Mm-hmm. Technically... Elephants are quantum mechanical, so it's a bit strange to relegate quantum mechanics to just the small. Mm-hmm. So if we did enough experiments and we took an elephant and we threw it through a double slit, it should, in theory, split. Regardless, when I was small, I heard about this. It's a contradiction or it's a difficulty in putting these two pieces together. And one needs to in order to be able to describe black holes and what happened at the origin of the universe. So there are various mysteries in physics. And I've been interested in that since as far as I can remember. Then I did my undergraduate in something called mathematical physics. Then I went into filmmaking and somewhat abandoned that, though I kept the same state of mind when I approached filmmaking. And then since the pandemic started, I thought, you know what, why not just go back to these roots I'm super interested in? I think about it almost all the time. It unhinges me to some degree. But anyway, I think about it almost every minute or so. So I started interviewing people about their theory of everything, so their combination of quantum mechanics and general relativity. Then I found out that there's more than just that because there's the mystery of, well, what the heck is consciousness and what role does it play fundamentally? Does it emerge from what we think of as material, so dead matter? Mm-hmm. And it somehow it became successful, and that's now I'm super lucky, much like yourself, I'm sure. You're like, holy moly. I get to do. I get to talk to awesome people. Exactly that I wouldn't what you want to get to talk to, yeah. And I get to think about stuff that I think about, you know, regardless. It's almost like we're researchers, but in a university, except we're not being paid by the university, mm. and we don't have to conform to whatever the university wants us to do. Well, good, nor because, do I. You know, universities. I at Columbia, I struggle to get the kind of deep and free thought that I actually wanted to live by in a classroom setting. It was a rare professor that Uh. would set the culture of the class freely enough that we could really, really pursue the, the, the deepest consequences of the ideas in the room with no fear, with no social Uh fear. So that is basically, I think the, 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 the places that actually allow for truly free thought, which is supposed to be what a university is, have shifted in, in some ways to places like, you know, my podcast, your podcast, and, and other places in the culture have sort of filled that vacuum. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Well, it's wonderful for us. It's not wonderful for the universities, though they, I think they think it is. It's, it's for their net benefit. Right. And at least they claim to. And I'm also from Toronto, so that's Toronto. the reason why there's a background. We'd switched backgrounds earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I was there. And, and I said, that's your domain, America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New York is much like it. So this is my first time in New, New York. New York and Toronto kind of look like each other. Yes, yeah, yeah. New York is far greater. I've only been to Toronto for like two hours, three hours. But I remember thinking, this is eerily similar to New York. It's a moderately... Cleaner New York and a hey. drastic <laughs> and a drastically smaller New York. Uh huh. Well, I guess w- the two major topics I want to talk to you about are UFOs, 
or, or UAPs as they're now called, and consciousness. Sure. So which order do you want to take these in? Maybe maybe let's start with UFOs. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, and this is a, you know, for anyone interested in this topic, your, your podcast is a major resource because you've talked to so many different people uh, uh, about this topic. And I've, I don't think I've ever talked about this uh, on my podcast, but basically what I believe has happened is three to four years ago, UFOs were a topic that marked you as crazy. And really, anyone interested in them would be dismissed. And the reason they would be dismissed is because people like me who weren't deeply into the topic, you know, I'd seen the videos of things that looked essentially like flying saucers caught on cameras on YouTube and elsewhere. But because the, 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 the U.S. government had never given a rubber stamp to these vid- videos, what I think many people assumed was that there must be some other explanation that folks high up uh, believe, such as, for, for, for example, that the camera was glitching out or that it, it wasn't actually an aircraft. It was something else that just looks like an aircraft. Some atmospheric effect. Some atmospheric effect, yeah, exactly. Like a rare event of ball lightning. Right, ball lightning or whatever. And, uh, or, or it's, or it's a, a U.S. military, actually a, a U.S. military device that the government is keeping secret. It was a, it was a military test, or it was Russian or Chinese. And we just, I just assumed whatever the explanation is, you know, the people at the Pentagon have it hmm. and they haven't talked about it because it's, it's a state secret. And, um, and on the tinfoil hat crowd on the internet is, is reading into it. Uh, and then, you know, in the past two years, that whole uh, type of dismissal is no longer really possible to make because... Uh, you know, the, the the videos, especially the ones from the Navy, there are at least three different videos I've seen that have been released that were taken by Navy pilots, aircrafts, where they're seeing something that looks, you know, exactly like our stereotype of a UFO, and they're saying, what the fuck is this? And then you know, our, our folks at the U.S. government have looked at it every which way, and their conclusion is, what the fuck is this, right? They, they, they are as confused and interested as people I would have dismissed three years ago as, as the conspiracy theorists and the, the alien obsessives, right? So that's basically, uh, that's sort of the sea shift as, as I see it. Is that how you see it? Yeah, except I wouldn't say that the shift is such that if you were to talk about it, you're not deemed to be a loon of Mm -hmm. some sort. There are still people like Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse Tyson and Michael Shermer who either explicitly state that if you're jumping to the conclusion that this isn't a terrestrial phenomenon, then you're insensate and you should be following only where the evidence leads you. Mm -hmm. So, And there's compilations of this. So, for example, I recently requested someone to come up with a compilation of this because I didn't see the exact words for a while. I've just heard that people 
like Neil deGrasse Tyson, etc., have disprised the UFO community. Anyway, there's this Twitter account named Tupac Cabra 2. So Tupac Cabra number 2. And he released this whole clip. So people can watch that and see that. Yes, there is a shift. It seems to be in the general population. But in the people who are the supposedly the purveyors of rational scientific mindsets, they tend to still disesteem. Yeah, so I, I'm not... So, so there's one question, which is, are UFOs real? As in unidentified flying objects, are they really UFOs? Are they really, you know, now they, they call them unidentified mm -hmm. aerial phenomena because precisely because they are real and don't, don't want to give them the sort of stigma of the phrase UFO. So there's that. We, we know they're real at this point, essentially. I mean... All, the evidence points that way. Everyone seems to think that. Very credible people from Barack Obama to, right. you know, John Brennan think this, that they're real. And then there's the, the further question of what they are, right, where they're from. And that seems to me still unanswered. But the, the likelihood that it is, they, they are extraterrestrial, epistemically, I think that's gone up for me. In the past two years, I, I wouldn't venture to say it's anything close to a certainty or anything like that, but it becomes harder and harder to believe that th these are, you know, made on Earth, and um, and less and less crazy to, to to put into the ring the hypothesis that they are from extraterrestrials. So, I mean, how convinced are you at this point that? the UFOs that we've seen on from the Navy videos and so forth are extraterrestrial in origin. No one piece of evidence of someone may say, well, what evidence exists? And, well, that's a tough question. No one piece of evidence is what convinces me. And I, I'm also in a similar position where I'm, I remain unconvinced as to any specific explanation. Is it something that's related to a being or beings from other places coming toward Earth that aren't originated on earth some hypothesis some hypotheses are that they're future humans coming back for some reason so they're closed time-like curves in physics you may call it that and i don't know about that because there are some contradictions with closed time-like curves but it seems like the standard response is hey we see some object in the sky it's called ufo or uap for a reason it's unidentified to make the leap that therefore aliens is a is a large leap and that's true However, and that's what I hear, Neil deGrasse Tyson, etc. And I keep picking on him, but it's a bit unfair for me to do so. He's the poster child of this. So let me just use him as a scapegoat for now. So people like Neil deGrasse Tyson would say that, yeah, that's, that's an unscientific leap. However, it's not simply that we see some objects in the sky and then we say it's aliens. It's that there's a variety of correlations with them. So they're correlated. You see some object in the sky, then you see cattle mutilations directly afterward. And no single person... See, for crop circles, there have been people who have been caught. And there are hundreds, if not thousands, of cattle mutilations which where cows are drained of blood and investigated with surgeon-like precision with lasers and so on. It seems like laser cuts. Certain organs are removed in a manner that vets don't know how the heck that could be explained. And that's seen close to before or after or during these cattle mutilation, the, the objects in the sky. So that's one correlation. Another one is that 
Then there's also people who report being spoken to by these beings or seeing them. Then there's also the correlation that, and these are also disparate people, so people who could not have come in contact with one another. So someone, let's say, thinks they were abducted, and someone else from far away also saw a craft, and these two people have not communicated. So you can't simply say it's mass hallucination. And by the way, this term mass hallucination, it's not a scientific term, because in order for it to be a scientific construct, it needs to be a reliable one that can be repeated. But the mass hallucinations aren't. In fact, I was speaking to someone, not on the podcast, over email about this term, someone who studies mass hallucinations. He doesn't think it actually happens. He thinks that well, we can get into that later. Yeah, so I, I just want to, so I, I know less, I haven't looked deeply into the phenom, f- phenomena you're talking about. I've looked into UFOs and UADs, and I've UADs. heard, uh, sorry, UAP, yeah, UFOs and UAPs, but but the, the cattle mutilations and the, you know, the injuries that people think couldn't, can't be man-made injuries, this is something it's it's very hard for me to know what to think about this because um, you know that there I'm just aware of how many hoaxes there are in the world and I'm 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 also aware of the phenomenon of social contagion which I you're, you're talking about mass hallucinations which you know I I think I actually do believe in in mass hallucinations in the sense of, you know, we know that there are many examples th- throughout history and in, in the present of, of social contagion phenomenon where, you know, a, a, an idea sort of just travels from one person to the next without real basis, right? It's like the, the school that where everyone, you know, like half the school got hiccups um, a few years ago. And it was a, it was a social contagion. Like they didn't mm-hmm. all get chronic hiccups, there was just this kind of brain worm that leapt from person to person. Um, you know, recently there was an Atlantic article about people on TikTok get, getting Tourette's, especially girls. Ah, did you see this? I heard about. That. Yeah, it was like they don't have they don't their Tourette's is caused by the psychology of you know subconsciously admiring other Tourette's TikTok in, in influencers and you know, without really consciously trying to, adopting the symptomology of, of Tourette's um, without the actually uh, the actual underlying sort of typical Tourette's condition. And when, you know, it's, it's really no stranger than, than the placebo effect. It's like, why do, we, why do we actually have symptoms when we take a sugar pill? That's actually deeply strange how, how much... Um, psychology and and suggestion, right, can actually influence your real experience. So to, uh, being very interested in so, social contagion phenomena, f- phenomena um, I, I'm less skeptical than you are of the possibility that many of these, uh, many of these sightings are, uh, you know, people that have, they've seen movies or they've, they've heard things about UFO and, and it gets sort of reproduced for them in, in what they see. I'm not saying that is what it is. I'm saying I don't dismiss that possibility. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that can exist for, I, I don't like to put numbers on it, but let's imagine it's 90%. And then I don't like to say that, well, who knows? Well, then the remaining 10%, well, that's still extraordinary. Well, that mm -hmm. remaining 10% could mm -hmm. still be explained with, I, I don't know if it could still be explained because like I mentioned, there's independent verification. Mm -hmm. So someone saw a craft from far away and then someone else saw another craft and they are extremely similar in their descriptions. And this happens with people who we would consider to be highly credible in any other situation mm -hmm. in such a manner that if we were to have a court of law and sentence someone to sometimes even death for murdering someone because you had a set of witnesses but without any physical evidence, I don't think that would be the case in capital punishment, but for putting someone to prison, mm -hmm. a variety of corroborating witnesses of a certain credibility would be sufficient to send someone to the jailhouse for an indeterminate amount of time. We then don't believe these people who study crafts, people are pilots themselves, who have seen them maneuver in the same way. That's another correlation. It's not like they just maneuver in a variable manner. There's some uncertainty to how they move, but it's also still correlated. Like they move in a, in such a manner that you would say, okay, that's like a UFO, whereas one that goes in, I guess in a figure eight, you would say that's odd. I mm -hmm. wouldn't classify that. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier, what's behind the UFOs are real. That's interesting. <coughs> what makes something real? Is it when, see in physics, if you had an unknown particle, an unidentified particle, so we don't know what this particle is, but then you see how it behaves with other particles. You see, you mm -hmm. see it's correlation. You would need six sigma, so an extreme amount of data in order for you to call it a particle anyway, for you to give it a name. But the general idea is that you have a variety of correlations. Then you classify it as quote-unquote real or a construct. Mm -hmm. In the social sciences, that bar is much lower. I believe it's something like 5% uncertainty. And what I'm telling you about here is that there's the correlation of also certain damage to people who are close to the craft that are all similar. The hitchhiker effect, which means that certain quote-unquote paranormal phenomenon follow these people afterward. And not these aren't people who are necessarily spiritual or religious. So that's like absolutely freaky. That's why I've had to take a break from studying this phenomenon that by the way it's called the phenomenon because it's not just relegated to alien life mm -hmm. it seems to be blurred in some manner i've had to take a break from studying consciousness in this and this phenomenon because it's 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 extremely destabilizing i have such uncertainty in my world view that that i'm somewhat adrift whenever i study these topics and and it, it's not a pleasant place at all. It's, it's, it's extremely not pleasant. So it sounds the, like uh, <laughs> you you might need to change a profession. Yeah, or at least a, a strong break or a change from of it, yeah. a topic on your podcast. So mathematics and physics calms me to such a large uh -huh, degree because uh -huh. it's so analytical. Uh huh. And so I've been studying math and physics lately for the podcast so the okay. podcast again it's about theories of everything which is a physics terminology mm -hmm. but then i'm interested in consciousness because it may have a the constitutive role to play in reality so there's something called idealism most scientists think of themselves as materialists i'm sure you've heard this term i'm sure your audience has heard of this term and then someone to the opposite end of materialism so materialism says that 
It's something like dead matter that makes up the world. And then consciousness is a pheno- an epiphenomenon that occurs atop from information processing. It seems to be information processing. That's the consensus. The other side is idealism, which says that consciousness is fundamental. Consciousness is actually what is at the root. It's not consciousness that needs to be explained. It's material that needs to be explained. And if so, then all of these phenomenon that you mentioned, like the placebo effect, makes sense. And this is another reason why I don't condescend or despise people who are religious. I, I used to, man, I used to be a militant atheist up until about three years ago or so. I'm so much more open to God and to religious stories as having an element of literal truth to them, not just metaphorical truth. I don't see it as so strange that there's some being that out of love, maybe, and maybe that's a bit quote-unquote woo, but some being that created this world, created us, I don't see that as being so far-fetched as much as I, I used to. And so, I also don't know, this is another odd aspect, I don't also don't know how much of God becomes true because we believe in God, that the fact that we believe in something makes it exist because consciousness and our beliefs have a constitutive role to play in what we call reality. I don't see that as being as far-fetched as... It's so difficult because the question is, well, what is reality? And how do you make sense of that without making a further assumption? So physicalists, which are on par with materialists, will say that, well, what's the evidence that consciousness is fundamental? Well, firstly, what's the evidence that material is fundamental? Science as an enterprise is agnostic philosophically. People like to think that it's a materialistic base, that it has materialism at its base, but it's more instrumental. It's more like if-then statements. We measure this. If you do this, you then see this. It doesn't say that what's at the bottom is dead matter, because in order for you to say what's dead, you'd have to say what's alive. And what's life and what's consciousness is also a bleary category. And so you can't make an a-bleary category and pretend that that's a valid construct, almost like it's another reason I'm afraid we're going to lose people. I want to go back to the sort of root problem of consciousness um, and and try to convey it how I see it in, in simple terms and may, maybe you can tell me if you see it the same way um, basically we have every reason to believe that the atoms in our brain are are, are no different than the atoms in this chair or in my appendix, or in, you know, the oxygen in this room. And yet, we know that there's something it's like to be this brain, right? Like, there's, there's, there's a first-person experience to be had, uh, you know, when atoms are assembled in such a way as to create a human brain. And we're not so sure that there's something it's like when atoms are comprised so as to make this chair. Maybe maybe there is, but but we we tend to think that there isn't. And so the question is how come when you put atoms together in this way, suddenly there's something it's like to be that entity? Um versus when you put the same atoms together in, in a different configuration, there's nothing it's like to be that entity. Now the question might be framed the wrong way. But that, that to me is, is like the, the basic puzzle. How come my appendix doesn't have an 
I mean, identity might be too strong a word, but an experience, right? From its point of view, the, the way that might, well, like what's special about the meat in, in the skull? It's just meat, right? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Do you if, see it that way or no? No, I don't know if an appendix has a point of view. It may have some low level point of view. If one was to believe the majority of these. Hear that sound? That's the sweet sound of success with Shopify. Shopify is the all-encompassing commerce platform that's with you from the first flicker of an idea to the moment you realize you're running a global enterprise. Whether it's handcrafted jewelry or high-tech gadgets, Shopify supports you at every point of sale, both online and in person. They streamline the process with the internet's best converting checkout, making it 36% more effective than other leading platforms. There's also something called Shopify Magic, your AI-powered assistant that's like an all-star team member working tirelessly behind the scenes. What I find fascinating about Shopify is how it scales with your ambition. No matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Join the ranks of businesses in 175 countries that have made Shopify the backbone of their commerce. Shopify, by the way, powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, including huge names like Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen. If you ever need help, their award-winning support is like having a mentor that's just a click away. Now, are you ready to start your own success story? Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theories, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theories now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash theories. Razor blades are like diving boards. The longer the board, the more the wobble, the more the wobble, the more nicks, cuts, scrapes. A bad shave isn't a blade problem, it's an extension problem. Henson is a family-owned aerospace parts manufacturer that's made parts for the International Space Station and the Mars rover. Now they're bringing that precision engineering to your shaving experience. By using aerospace-grade CNC machines, Henson makes razors that extend less than the thickness of a human hair. The razor also has built-in channels that evacuates hair and cream, which make clogging virtually impossible. Henson Shaving wants to produce the best razors, not the best razor business. So that means no plastics, no subscriptions, no proprietary blades, and no planned obsolescence. It's also extremely affordable. The Henson Razor works with the standard dual-edge blades that give you that old-school shave with the benefits of this new-school tech. It's time to say no to subscriptions and yes to a razor that'll last you a lifetime. Visit hensonshaving.com everything. If you use that code, you'll get two years worth of blades for free. Just make sure to add them to the cart. Plus 100 free blades when you head to H-E-N-S-O-N-S-H-A-V-I-N-G dot com slash everything and use the code everything. Theories on consciousness, which you mentioned the word first person and third person. We can get to them. Which try to study consciousness from a third person point of view. It seems as though they're, if you follow them and you take them seriously, they're panpsychic. Because in some sense, this is interacting with this chair. What, what's interacting with this chair? The atoms here are interacting with the chair. So firstly, our atoms are not separate. They're overlapping. In, in Quantum mechanically, they're overlapping. So to say that there's a difference between this chair and this chair, that's a human construct. And when I say human construct, I sound like a postmodernist. But what I mean is... 
these words that we're using, like first person, third person, what it's like to be, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Firstly, that's another synonym for consciousness, which we're trying to define. So we then define consciousness in terms of something else, which we don't understand. So we say it, there's an experience of what it's like. What does it mean, what it's like? And then we get into a circular definition of consciousness. And maybe just that our words are not developed enough to capture what consciousness is. It may be that, again, consciousness is fundamental, so trying to place it in terms of something that's immaterial, like you mentioned atoms and a kidney and so on, is a wrong frame to begin with, much like asking, how can one make gold out of silver or, or silver out of gold before understanding about nuclear reactions? It's a, it's a, you just can't do it. It's a, chemi a chemical reaction can't do it. So it may be that that's the wrong frame, and we keep thinking that it's the right frame, and then we get into paradoxes or antinomies like the hard problem of consciousness it's a hard problem if one starts with thinking of the world comprising dead matter and it's unclear to me whether or not our kidneys have some low-grade consciousness so there's the integrated information theory of intelligence sorry of consciousness there's global neuronal workspace there's spatio-temporal theories of consciousness adverbial consciousness theories and all of these are about matter interacting with one another. And so there's matter interacting with itself in our kidney. And so that would mean that in some sense, the universe has some low-level consciousness. And the developers of IIT, like Tononi, have conceded in a sense that, yes, this is rational panpsychism. So is, pan is pan panpsychism... Um, is that everything has some element of a psychic quality, right. some element of consciousness? Correct. Right. So, I was going to say, panpsychism is not—it's not really testable, is it? No, nor are almost any <clears throat> theories about the origin of consciousness. It's nor like, is materialism. Like, so, right. Right. So, so I have—I'm—I'm I'm like totally agnostic between materialist ex explanations of, of of consciousness and and panpsychists explanations and and in fact i'm i'm pretty convinced of colin mcginn's idea the philosopher colin mcginn which is some kind sometimes called mysterian mysterianism mm -hmm. chomsky's as well oh is that is that right yeah yeah which is um you know which I, you've had chomsky on so I'm, I'm sure you know but for for the audience essentially hear that sound that's the sweet sound of success with Shopify. Shopify is the all-encompassing commerce platform that's with you from the first flicker of an idea to the moment you realize you're running a global enterprise. Whether it's handcrafted jewelry or high-tech gadgets, Shopify supports you at every point of sale, both online and in person. They streamline the process with the internet's best converting checkout, making it 36% more effective than other leading platforms. There's also something called Shopify Magic, your AI-powered assistant that's like an all-star team member working tirelessly behind the scenes. What I find fascinating about Shopify is how it scales with your ambition. No matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Join the ranks of businesses in 175 countries that have made Shopify the backbone of their commerce. Shopify, by the way, powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, including huge names like Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen. If you ever need help, their award-winning support is like having a mentor that's just a click away. Now, are you ready to start your own success story? 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theories, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theories now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash theories. The point is human beings were not evolved to understand everything in the world. It's like we were evolved to survive and reproduce on the African savanna. So we're, we're very good at predicting, you know, when an object is thrown in the air that it's going to fall in a, in a parabolic shape, right? Because that's, that's very, that was very useful to us. We're very, um, you know, there's all kinds of things we're, we're quite good at. We're, we're good at, fairly good at understanding someone else's intentions. Like I, I see a guy with an angry face is going to hit me. I can tell that apart from a guy with a friendly face. Our brains are, are built to solve all and, and only problems that relate, are optimized for that goal of survival and reproduction in a particular environment. Um, and, you know, just like every other animal in the, in, in the animal kingdom has limits to what it can understand, right? It's like we, we, we understand I, I can do algebra, but I, but I can see that a chimp could never in principle even understand really algebra a, at all. What, does it stand to reason that just because we happen to be the smartest animals that we know about, that there isn't a whole landscape of problems that we stand in relation to the way a chimpanzee stands in relation to algebra? Or, I mean, the, the example I, I, I like to use is more like an animal that can't understand that its reflection in a mirror is itself rather than another animal. Um, it's like a, a a chicken is never in a million years going to understand that light can come back hmm. at you. The concept hmm. of reflection is just permanently, light. yeah, it's just like, it's never going to get that. It's, if it could speak, if we could hear its thoughts when it's looking at itself in the mirror, it would just be I like a laundry. Like yeah, and it would be like, wait a minute. How come this chicken, every time I move, it moves? Right. And then it would come up with a whole bunch of theories, much like we do about consciousness, that none of which actually deeply make sense or are satisfying to the chicken. And it would just have to sort of throw, it, throw its hands up in, in a deep way, which is to say there, there's lots of mysteries that we've solved. It's like it's a mystery for 100 years and then we figure it out, right? But there are mysteries that I believe there are mysteries that are in principle unsolvable by beings like us, by apes like ourselves, because... They are beyond our ken in the same way that reflection is beyond the ken of many animals. And it, consciousness strikes me as, as precisely this kind of mystery. Yeah. I oscillate between that view and also the view of some people like... So Yosha Bach likes to say Mysterianism is the philosophical view that unless you're... That someone as smart as Noam Chomsky can't figure it out, therefore we can't all figure it out. So he likes to denigrate Chomsky... Just poke and jab him a bit. I'm trying to set up a talk between them two, between the two of them on the Toe channel. Toe is for theories of everything. Regardless, I oscillate between between thinking it's completely out of our comprehension just because we're such limited beings, and also I oscillate, oscillate between that and then 
there's some remarks from Wittgenstein. I think they're called his clarificatory remarks. At least Simon Critchley calls them that, where he said that there are aspects of life, and he was referring to consciousness, I believe, that are most important but hidden to us because of their simplicity and familiarity, much like a fish doesn't think about water. But it's if it could, it would realize it's right there. There's John Wheeler who also said behind this all may be an idea that's so beautiful and simple that when we finally comprehend it a decade, a century, millennia from now, we will all look at one another and think, how could it have been any other way? And how could we have been so foolish not to see it? So I don't know. And some of the people who are on the more eastern end think that it is what needs the least explaining. Consciousness is what's closest to us. It's every single thing else that needs explaining. Someone like What Rupert's, does that actually mean, though? What was, how does that actually answer the question of, you know, why, why the meat in my head is conscious and, you know, other collections of atoms aren't. The way that one does that is by questioning that assumption that one starts with all that you know is of consciousness. Actually, that's your fundamental, that you're, that's at the fundament, that's at the base is consciousness. And so when we say, well, we're trying to explain consciousness. What is consciousness? It's no, what is anything else? Everything starts with consciousness. Well, I, I, I mean, I understand the concept of just reversing the question. But that doesn't, it doesn't strike me as any, that explanation doesn't strike me as any more satisfying than the, the materialist explanation, which is, well, it's just information processing and, um, but we're also kind of not sure why computers aren't conscious, even though they process information. It's like that those two leave me equally unsatisfied, I think, because simply reversing the question without giving me a reason to accept that framework over others when it's not obvious it also it just doesn't really quench my thirst on, on the questions, if that makes sense. Yeah. Bernardo Castrop is someone who is a proponent of what's called analytic idealism, and he would say that materialists have developed what's called an ontological category, which simple ontology just means what is, and then category is, hopefully we're familiar with what a category is, by saying that there's material. Because what we do is we start with consciousness as our first person experience. That is not what needs explaining. And then what we've done as materialists is say that there exists something else when, when there's no need for that. Science can exist in its exact same form without having to posit an entirely new quote-unquote ontological category of dead, of, I'm just going to say dead matter, unconscious matter. So it's, it's strange that that was the leap that was made. Now, I'll give you another. I understand what you're saying because I also too oscillate between whether it's a satisfying explanation. That's a great question. What the heck is an explanation? At what point do we say, okay, so-and-so has been explained? Well, I'll, give you, I'll give you a quick... Well, sorry, but to go back on that, it's like when, when you see somebody die or, or you, know, you fall into a dreamless sleep, you experience the lights going out, at least in the second case, and it, and it very much looks like the light's going out when somebody dies, 
right? And and so our intuition that there is conscious matter and unconscious matter is is not. I mean, it's it's not crazy. It's it's like we we are we are trying to make sense of the fact that sometimes the lights go out for us when we have a dreamless sleep. And it certainly looks like the lights are going out for, for people and animals when they die. And so we're trying, you know, it, it does seem like the universe has two things to, exp- you know, two states, right? Like conscious matter and, and what you're calling dead matter. Um, so why is it, why is it wrong to view that data as the, the total phenomenon to be explained? I'm not saying it's wrong. I don't know. But another point of view is that when we have sleep, we don't experience the lights going out. Well, we think by we definition, because there's no experience. We don't know. This is something else. This is something that we project onto the experience of sleep. So here's something to think about. Can you ever experience non-experience? No, again, by definition. Right. So then we think that there's this gap in our consciousness. What we've done is we've seen other people and we've come up with this category of non-consciousness and then we confabulate that back to ourselves but as a matter of experience we never experience quote-unquote the lights going out because by definition you can't so it's it should be i don't see why it isn't a continuous a continuum between sleep and wake no it may feel different continuum between because you're constantly experiencing there's no such thing as non-experience as you experiencing Mm -hmm. non-experience so when we say hey we i didn't experience well Yes, but then you're projecting some notion of time and so on. But as a matter of experience, and remember, the idealists start with experience. As a matter of experience, there's no gap in your experience because there can't be. Because as, because by definition, okay, so you understand that. So then when we say, well, so-and-so died, we don't know. In, in a strange sense, it's like, in a strange sense, life is not what needs explaining because that's what comes, that's what we see first. It's It's death. And this is actually extremely freaky because I don't want to... Th- Part of me doesn't want to believe in life after death, life after what we think of as death, because it, it was disconcerting to me. I, I find the materialist's point of view to be much more comforting, personally. But regardless, it's we don't know what the heck happened to that person. And then we start we start to project some of what we think is happening back to ourselves. But as a matter of experience, we don't experience death nor life, sorry, nor sleep. There's no gap in experience. So as a matter of experience, death is something we don't know. We're just making some category up and then we're saying it applies. But we we as we don't have any data points for that. We don't have any observations of what right. it's like to not have an observation. Right. I, I get that. That that's that has to be true by definition. But um so it's like when I see someone go to sleep. I see that their all of their behavior stops essentially except for breathing. And you know, I I assume for the most part maybe they're having a dream experience because I've I've had and remembered many dream experiences, but I don't have that every night. You know, presumably, you know, it's, it's possible I've had many dreams that I, that I just don't remember. And this this goes to your point of having an experience but not remembering it. Uh, feels the same in retrospect as not having had an experience at all. So like if I, if for some reason I just was like fully blackout drunk last night, like perfectly blackout drunk, 
for an hour, then remembering last night to me is it's the same as if I was if as if I was having no experience at all, mm-hmm. right? As if I was in a dreamless sleep for that hour, um, and I I would have no way of really telling those apart other from the other than the sort of context clues of the rest of the day, like oh I went out last night I must have gotten blackout drunk. I understand what you're saying. Um, so there's, yeah, there's no difference between having an experience with no memory and not having an experience when you're looking back on it, for sure. But, um, I mean, I, I guess we, we make inferences on what's likely to be true from not only from our first person, for, from adding our first person experience to our observations of others and patterns in the world. So, like, one pattern or, or imperfect but but frequently found correlation in the world is that um, when people are exhibiting behaviors like talking and standing and walking and and so forth, they're also they also tend to be experiencing something and and we find this in our own lives and it seems to be true of, of others that there's um, a connection between. Uh, you know, behavior and doing things and having blood flow to your brain and feeling things from the inside. So we assume when all the behavior stops and the blood stops flowing and all of the mechanics just grind to a halt, uh, that that's the end of experience because those two variables tend to be correlated. Now, the, the problem with that is we, we have examples where they're totally not correlated, such as locked-in syndrome, um, which is where you know, a, a person is in a hospital bed, <clears throat> totally, pretty much totally immobile, um, comatose for all we can tell, and only when they wake up from the coma do we discover they were hearing and seeing the whole time, right? It's like the, the sort of, um, I guess was 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 Kill Bill sort of like this, like Uma Thurman and Kill Bill. I could be misremembering the, that movie, but my memory is she, you know, she was in a coma, and the doctor basically raped her, hmm. and she, but she, she was actually it. conscious the whole time. Yeah. And then she fucked him up when she got out, out of the coma. It was just this great moment. But, like, the fact that that's possible means that there isn't actually an 100% connection between uh, behavior and consciousness. Right? It's like you can be conscious and l- look and be comatose. And... Um, and, and so... And, and not only that, but you can get complex behavior... Uh, w- without what seems to be consciousness. It's like I, I talked to Annika Harris about this, and in her book she was, she gave these examples of, of extraordinary, extraordinarily complex behavior by networks of trees communicating underground and stuff. And it's like, wait a minute, so they're communicating. They're communicating. Like that's a behavior we would no- normally associate with consciousness. And it's they're not built; they're they're natural, right? They're they're communicating, but we assume that they're not conscious. Um, so the, you can get behavior without consciousness, consciousness without complex behavior, even though those two things tend to be correlated most of the time. Um, 
and and what's more, it doesn't seem like there's a logical reason why consciousness would have to accompany complex behavior, right? Like from the point of view of Darwinian evolution, why does it matter that there's something it's like to be one of these survival machines? It's like my appendix doesn't, you know, wouldn't need to feel what it's doing Maybe that's a bad example since the appendix is pointless. My kidneys wouldn't need to feel what it's doing in order to serve their purpose, you know, uh, for, for my survival. How, how come certain aspects of my body I'm conscious of, but others I'm just not? It's yeah. like, what is the, what's the evolutionary rationale for some of these things being accompanied by my experiencing them and others just being totally is like, I wouldn't even know I had half the organs in my body if I, if I didn't take a biology class. Um, so that's p part of the mystery too. I understand. There's a couple of terms you use there, which is third person, a couple others that I can't recall and you, which is another one. So firstly, the category of you. So someone else, Oh, this is where it gets extremely tricky for me, psychologically. But anyway, we can talk about that another time. The One has to think about what constitutes evidence. So is evidence... When you say... Sorry, I don't mean to say you like I'm accusing <laughs> you, but when one says, let's say, when one says, I watch someone sleep mm -hmm. and the lights went out for them, it's as if they're, well, firstly, that's a bit <coughs> creepy. One <laughs> periodically watch people sleep. It's as if they're projecting, and I keep using this word projecting because I don't have another term to mm -hmm. use, some God's eye view where we have this, where we imagine time ticking in this fashion and then we imagine that they're not experiencing anything. Well, we can ask them afterward, do you, do you remember so-and-so? And then we say there was a gap. And so we imagine that that gap occurs for us. But as a matter of evidence for us, we don't have that. And so from their point of view, there was no gap. And from our point of view, we never have a gap. And so what I'm saying is that we then project what we think of as a gap from them onto us because we imagine ourselves, we're so great at doing this because of the development of science, of thinking of, of the world from a third person point of view, like a God's eye view, that this is all just ticking clocks and billiard balls bouncing off one another. And yes, there's some complexities with QFT and so on, quantum, mecha quantum mechanics and so on. So it's already making a leap. And I'm saying that the people who are idealists say that there's no need to make that leap. Continue with the first person. That's where you start and that's where you can end. You start to develop other points of view. Uh -huh. But then, uh -huh. well, but then so, paradoxes come in. Well, well. So I guess m the first person doesn't answer the question either way. So it's like I, I fall asleep. I I and then I wake up. M my first, if I'm solely going by my first person experience, I've got no idea what happened. Right. It, uh, I, I don't know whether I blacked out and w actually had an experience that I'm simply now not remembering 
sort of like the show Severance. I don't know if you, you've, you've checked it out. It's this great show. Um, amazing. Really, really worth worth watching and maybe even worth, worth talking about on, on your podcast where people undergo a, a sci-fi they don't explain how the procedure is done, but they undergo a procedure where their their memory is spatially uh, bound, which means they go to work, mm, and when they enter the door to work, they no longer remember anything about mm. their their life outside of that building. Right. Okay. It's like they're so they only remember memories that they have made in in this space. They exit. Now they only remember memories they have made in the outside world. Yeah. So it's a way of completely psychologically severing your work life and your home life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and what's interesting what's interesting about it is the moment you know what they've essentially done is created two different people. I mean, in some ways. In some ways, they have created two different people, and in some, in some right. ways, they're the same person because they're basically, you know, the the what the home life person experiences is going to work today, going to work. The moment they walk through the door, they walk out. Right? It's like it's like going to sleep and waking up, and 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 the their wor- the work version of them experiences the same thing. They're just at work. They're, this person feels like he is at work his whole life, mm-hmm. right? Because the second he goes home, he's walking mm-hmm. through the door again, like waking up. And so there's essentially two people that feel like they're living their entire lives on opposite ends of this thing. And from their first person experience, uh, you know, they, they have no idea what's happening when they walk through that door. They, for all they know, they're just uh, nothing happens at all. Um, or they've, for, for all they know, they're, they've been outside for a, a, a year and all they have to go by is like sort of how their body feels when they walk back through the door. It's like if they're exhausted, they assume something must have happened out there. Or if, they, if they've got a cut, they assume they, they, they had to have gotten that cut at work. Um, Are they aware that they're losing, like in Memento, the guy is aware that he has memory lapses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're aware. They signed up for this procedure. Um, okay. The reason why I was saying don't mean to interrupt. But mm-hmm, no, the reason ahead. why I was saying there are a couple of delusive concepts there. So the third person, like I mentioned, well, if we're idealists, let's just abandon that. It doesn't mean that other minds don't exist. It just means, in terms of evidence, stick with yourself. Okay. Then there's also the. Well, my reaction was that does that doesn't answer the questions necessarily. Okay. Well, we'll get back to that because yeah. there's also the concept of you, which implies a continuous identity. And that's a delusive concept because it's not clear. So are you the same you as you were yesterday and so on and so on? And then can you experience without having memory? So it, when you go to sleep, is it the case that people are experiencing something somewhere? Maybe this nullity void that the Buddhists say is a place of nothingness. And then you come back, but you have no recollection of it. I imagine in the same way that, I I don't know, because one would have to say that that is the same person across the rooms, across home and across work. So one would have to say that's the same person. And if we can say that, then we could say, so the question is, does one experience when one is dead in some other realm or or when one is sleeping? And I would say that the answer is we don't know. 
one could just not have memory to it. It's like there's this bucket of memory that we pull into that when we're talking to one another, we luckily have access to this. We, some, some have access to it better than others. But luckily we can, luckily when we're talking right now, it's like we're injecting into this bucket and later we can pull out some of it. Mm -hmm. So then if I was to go into a place or you were to go into a place or one was to go into a place where they didn't have access to this bucket, mm -hmm. does that mean that they weren't there? Well, we have no evidence. It's, that, it's actually just, we don't know. And we assume, well, no, but we don't know. So, I mean, what's your bar for knowledge? That's a question. It's like we, we don't know perfectly, maybe to 100% certainty, but I think my bar for saying I know something is not that it's, um, it's, it's, it's known with perfect confidence, right? To, right. to like to, to know something with 99% confidence is to me maybe the best we can ever get about almost anything. Um, Unless you're Bill Nye or Neil deGrasse Tyson who says they, they believe with 99.999% certainty that so-and-so <clears throat> or not anything more than a Turin explanation uh, no, for the UAPs. Oh, oh for yeah. the UAPs. Yeah, well... Yeah, and maybe. by the way, my m remark to them mm -hmm. is, all right, hey, do you want to play that game? I will put down $1,000 then, then you can put down $9 million, and that'll still be a great bet for you. You feel like the odds are still in your favor. That, okay. that UAPs are not extraterrestrial. Right. So they're, they're that certain that they are, they are quotes that terrestrial. They, yeah. That's, or some Bonossic explanation. That's like quite... Some, 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 something that's mundane. Or, or something mundane. Yeah. So I also want to ask them... That's like, what very is this? strange. Yeah, exactly. And there's How some tweets about that. that. Bill Nye and, and right. Tyson, I, I know Neil a little bit. It's, 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 I'm curious. I'm, I'm surprised he would be that certain that they are from Earth. Yeah. It also depends on, well, it depends on quite, when one assigns probability, that's actually, it's difficult to assign a probability to almost anything. My brother is a professor of statistics and even assigning probabilities in a paper that has to do with medicine so something that's extremely objective where we have replicable data is actually it's not it's extremely difficult let alone something where we don't know because then one has to set up what's called a reference class and it's still an unknown problem in statistics what should be one's reference class mm -hmm. spoke about this with gary nolan so i can yeah, ask yeah, you i heard that yeah yeah I right heard that one. I, can, I can say to the audience as a question mm -hmm. like when what's the probability you're going to die tomorrow you may say well maybe 0.02 and then I say, no, it's actually 99.999 because if you take as the reference class all the beings on Earth, the majority of them are dying in the next few minutes because they're bacterial. Right. No, I mean, uh, you, you didn't go too, too deep into that problem on the podcast, but I thought it was a really interesting point. It's like, so is my, what's my probability of dying today? Do I take the probability of all New Yorkers mm -hmm. and take that? Or is it, you know, let's say black men that are 25 years old or Americans in general? Who do I leave out of, of the reference? I mean, it's an extremely difficult problem, which is why people who are in risk management get paid so much because insurance depends on it. Right. Well, it's, it's it not is, a, as if it's easy at all. Interesting question that insur insur like, you know, insurers can discriminate against you based on certain characteristics, but not other. Like they can charge you higher premiums if you're a young man, right? As opposed to, but they can't, you know, if there were some racial differences in car accidents, 
that were material enough to like get differential premiums, you couldn't charge people different premiums based on based on race and ethnicity. And I, I just always thought that's a little kind of underexplored, you know, f- phenomenon. Like where, where are the people complaining that um, they are being discriminated against by insurance companies because insurance insurance companies understand that you know, young people get in far more car accidents, right? It's like, well, shit, I didn't, I can't control being mm-hmm. young. It's like, I, this, that's a characteristic I have no control over. How come you're discriminating against me based on the statistical uh, average behavior of people with my characteristics? It's like, we generally understand that to be unethical. Except in the universities, but yeah. Oh, what, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? With the diversity and inclusion. Oh, yeah, no, so. sure. Yeah, but... Um, but anyway, yeah, that that's uh, there's also a problem of like what actually is probability? Pro- what what's a probability claim? When you say there's an eighty percent likelihood of X mm-hmm. happening, what actually does that mean? Well, it mean I, I think I mean I tend to think probability claims are like epistemic claims. It's like for all we know, it seems like there's an you know eighty out of a hundred times we run this in theory that would happen but it's like what does that mean actually it's an unsolved problem what's what's the probability the sun will come up tomorrow because one has to then assume a philosophical framework for probability and there are broadly speaking four so for the people who are interested there's frequentist which means this is what is done in physics is you look at the frequency you just take a, a slew of data and then there are some pros and cons of each one of these cases so one wants to know can you make a probability for a single case is there such a thing as a probability right. for a single case? Right, so because with if, a frequentist, if, if, if there's no, can't. a frequentist can't. No. That's right. A classicalist can. And, and a classicalist also assigns uniform probability among different options, which to me, well, that's well, not wait, entirely well, what's clear. The, what's the so classicalist? If you don't know if this, weight, if this die is weighted, uh-huh. you just assume that it's one out of six. That could, this is an assumption. You don't know. It could be weighted. You have no other data. Mm-hmm. So they just assume it is until more data comes in. Okay. Then there's the Bayesian, which you referenced, which I believe is also called the subjective because it deals with one's own degree of certainty. And then there's the metaphysical, which is what most people think probability is. And that, I think that, that, that probability is something real inher- in yes, the universe. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so a particle just has this chance of decaying at a certain time. Sorry, or yeah, it's, yes, yes, yes. A particle has this chance. But then you get into problems of what do you mean it has this chance what is what is the ontological claim here so each one of them has some pros and cons and with the metaphysical yes you can make a single case because it just inherently has this probability frequentist no classical yes regardless then one has to say well which probability are you referring to when you when you say 99.999% sure that uaps are so and so it's it's so dubious that i don't know how they can be so certain because they and the reason i say they're certain is that there's a level of condescension and derision that come from the skeptics still to this day, though it's tempered. And I think it's tempered because of... Because of the revelations. Right. And the, the US government saying, hey, even year I, or so. I think NASA themselves say this is not any known government. That we know of. Yeah. So then you're like, what the heck? You raise your eyebrow there. So is the government lying so to us? So here's the other thing. It's, they have to the me, it's very unlikely that Russia or China is holding on to the kind of technology that would move, that would have an aircraft that moves in the way that these 
aircrafts do, right? Especially since these have been seen since the 40s. So you would have to say that they've had, someone has had this technology since the 40s because there's right. a uniform. Right. I think they call them observables. There's a uniform set of observables. Right. I mean, so I, I can only speak to the videos I've seen, um, at, which are all from the past 17 years or so. I think the earliest one I saw was like from 2005 or, or 2004. Um, but, but like, why would Russia or China invent technology that's clearly, you know, very advanced in terms of how it flies? I mean, it flies like nothing else we, we've created. And then just fly it over the co like eastern seaboard frequently for no reason. Get filmed by a navy pilot, mm -hmm. uh, and then not do anything to us yeah. that that like hurts us, right? It's like it it would, and then also not use that technology to win the war mm -hmm. in, in Ukraine for whenever instance, they have a war, like right? Whenever they right. have a war. It doesn't make it makes very little sense that it would be a, a different state actor, and our government has strongly implied that it's not um, a you know American technology. Mm -hmm. So it's such a strange and, and strange obviously it's like there's nothing. I mean, life on another planet is actually no. It's no crazier. A, a belief than there being life on this planet. And if one chooses as a reference Especially class us, yeah. then we can say, well, look, with some large degree of certainty, outside of us destroying ourselves, we're going to spread intergalactically. And so let's imagine that we're not special as science frequently tells us, which I also don't necessarily believe, but that we're not special. We can get into that if you like, but that then it would make sense that other forms of life are visiting us if one chooses as a reference class ourselves and we project ourselves to the future. We got to wrap up. This has been really good. Where can my listeners go if they want to hear more about UFOs, consciousness, theories of everything, etc.? Sure. You can search theories of everything on YouTube. My, my name should come up, Kurt Jaimungle. And if you're interested in, like Coleman mentioned, physics, mathematics, free will, God as well, which we didn't get to talk much about, and consciousness as well as UFOs and how they relate to that, then, then check it out and hopefully you enjoy it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kurt. Thank you, man. The podcast is now finished. If you'd like to support conversations like this, then do consider going to patreon.com slash C-U-R-T-J-A-I-M-U-N-G-A-L. That is Kurt Jaimungle. It's support from the patrons and from the sponsors that allow me to do this full-time. Every dollar helps tremendously. Thank you.